I'm Karine Linz, and you're listening to Infrontelligence, a podcast from Renew Canada magazine. For those of you that are readers of Renew Canada, you might recall that we hosted a Mass Timber Roundtable two years ago, where we invited industry leaders from across the country to discuss opportunities and challenges for future asset development. Looking back at that discussion, there was a lot of emphasis on overcoming the challenges. But two years later, a lot has changed. With the development of new building codes, the completion of several high-profile projects, and a good measure of myth-busting surrounding fire safety and resilience issues, confidence surrounding mass timber infrastructure has never been greater. In the following discussion, we explore what needs to happen for mass timber projects to become part of the everyday development landscape. Good morning, and welcome to Renew Canada's Infra-Intelligence series. My name is Corrine Lenz, and I'm the content director here at Actual Media. I'll be your moderator for today's discussion on mass timber coming of age. Last month, we had a great conversation with Canada's nuclear experts about the development of small nuclear reactors and the key role nuclear power generation will play in getting us to net zero by 2050. And today, we're switching gears to focus on how mass timber as an industry is indeed coming of age. There are certainly some common themes to nuclear, with sustainability and industry growth being a couple of key questions I'm really eager to pose to our panel today. We have a lot to cover over the next hour, but before I jump in and introduce you to our panel, I would like to take just a few moments to acknowledge the many First Nations and Indigenous peoples of Canada as the original stewards of this great country. I'm here in Toronto, which is located on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. We all share in the responsibility of our natural infrastructure, and there's much we can learn from the traditional knowledge of the land, water, and yes, timber, that allows us to build projects that benefit all Canadians. All right, so let's get started and meet our experts. First up is Jackie Track. Welcome, Jackie. Hi. Andrew Bowerbank, and then Patrick Schwinnard is up next. Hello, Patrick. And then we have Vivian Menace. All right, we've got everybody here, perfect. All right, so uh, Jackie, will you kick us off, please, with your introduction? Sure. Um, Jackie Track, I work for PCL Constructor. I've worked for them for close to 30 years, which is amazing every time I say that. Um, The last 19 years, I've I've been here in Vancouver, which is where I'm currently sitting in a sunny day here in Vancouver, thank God. (laughs) Also going to be 27 degrees today, so Um, my, my... wealth of information that I'm going to share today is is as a result of working on many projects. Uh, recently, I've been working on a lot of design build projects. And one of my favorite ones was the Wood Innovation Design Center that was done for the province of BC, completed in 2012, which was uh, the first tall wood building in North America at its time, which there's, thank goodness, there's so many more that have happened since then. So um, that's where my wood experience really kicked off. And since then, I've been helping PCL with many of their other pursuits across the country. Great. Thank you, Jackie. Andrew, how about you? Sure. Um, I guess probably tell you a little bit about the uh, Canadian Wood Council. Uh, it does work a lot behind the scenes. So you know, the CWC is a national industry voice for wood products in the construction sector. In addition to the code standards and engineering work that we do, we have a great program called our Woodworks program. It's really focused on education and outreach. And what I find fascinating is, is the size and scale of just the forestry sector itself. And our groups specifically, uh, we represent uh, some of the largest lumber groups in Canada, including 
including the BC Council for Forest Industries, the Alberta Forest Products Association, the Quebec Forest Industry Council, Maritime Lumber Bureau. And we also have a close relationship with a group called the Forest Products Association of Canada, FPAC. So FPAC will take material from the forest to the mill. But the job of CWC, where I work, is to go from mill to the job site. So we basically have the, the sector covered. And what I find fascinating is right now the forestry sector contributes about $42 billion to the GDP. And our group, specifically the wood products group, account for about 44% of that. So I think it's an exciting time for mass timber. Um, and for me, I came on board here about uh, eight months ago only. And prior to that, I was a senior executive at two of the largest companies in the design and construction sectors. Um, also a former CEO at the World Green Building Council and spent some time advising uh, Magna and electric vehicles and council member at the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. But I mean, I tell you all this just to illustrate that I've been involved in a number of trends in the marketplace over the years. And, Vivian and I've known for probably 15 years, so she knows a lot of this. Uh, you know, what excites me is the rapid interest and uptake uh, that uh, mass timber buildings are, are having in the marketplace. We really are going mainstream. So to me, it's like following the trends that green buildings did about 10, 15 years ago. And the, the movement from BC right across the country, the same thing is happening with the mass timber buildings. So new systems, new technologies, very exciting times. Sorry, you were muted there. I think if I could read your lips, maybe I was next. <laughs> okay, very good. Um, yeah, so my name is Patrick Trenard. I'm the uh, founder of Element 5. We are a mass timber manufacturer in the province of Ontario. We're, we are Ontario's only mass timber manufacturer. We make, uh, we make CLT, we make Lulam. You know, I've been uh, a proponent of mass timber for about the, the last 10 years. Uh, this, where we are today in the industry is a really realization of a dream that began about uh, 10 years ago. You know, um, if there's a great business opportunity, there's a lot of great growth in the mass timber industry, but there's all really a lot of opportunity for us to make positive contributions to, to the environment, to communities, to create these really healthy, wonderful, nurturing environments for people in which to live. Uh, we're just very grateful to be in the industry at the at this time and uh, looking forward to making positive contributions in this industry over the years to come. Great, thank you. And Vivian. Hi, welcome. Uh, I'm Vivian Manask, uh, Principal Architect at Reimagine Architects, formerly Manask Isaac Architects. Uh, we've recently rebranded our firm and uh, are becoming an increasingly global presence in the world of sustainable buildings. Our uh, practice is based in uh, Edmonton, Calgary, Bucharest, uh, and soon to be Vancouver. So Jackie will be coming to, to say hello. Uh, and um, we are uh, definitely have had the privilege of working with the sustainable buildings community uh, right from the beginning. So I think both Andrew and I were involved in the very, very early days of the Canadian Green Building Council, uh, of the Lead Green Building Rating System, of the uh, introduction of uh, net zero standards across the countries, and of course in the focus of, on mass timber. Uh, in fact, just recently, um, as part of our rebranding, we've also published our firm's uh, social responsibility or sustainability report. And uh, in flipping through that, over 75% of the buildings that we've designed are mass timber buildings. That's a fairly significant percentage. And we've been working um, 
across Western and Northern Canada primarily uh, for the past 40 years, uh, designing buildings that are um, healthy for people and for the planet. And Mass Timber has always kind of bubbled to the surface as being uh, a priority uh, for the kinds of buildings that we do. We really love to say that we live lightly on the earth and uh, that we're committed to a, a circular economy. And uh, the sort of micro example of that is if you happen to be by our Edmonton studio, we have this fabulous tree table in the middle of the studio. And uh, it's a table that actually came from one of our construction sites where sadly this beautiful green ash had to come down and we managed to get it uh, milled and dried and uh, recrafted to be a centerpiece in our studio. So um, we, I think, uh, touch mass timber right from the very beginnings of our day right into our largest projects uh, across the country. So I'm excited to be part of this conversation and thank you for including me. Thank you so much. I love that saying, we live lightly on the earth. That's great. I'm going to steal it for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been more than two years now, I think, since Renew Canada last sat down with the industry leaders to discuss the challenges and opportunities that Mass Timber was facing at that time. Uh, looking back at that roundtable discussion now, I was struck by the emphasis of it being a lot on overcoming challenges. And today, there seems to be much more confidence in the industry uh, I was reading through some reports and I came across uh, the State of Mass Timber in Canada report that was just released by the Canadian government back in May of this year. And uh, it, it, in its opening statement, it says, and I, I quote, demand for more sustainable construction materials and methods, as well as more sophisticated design and production systems, is stimulating the construction market in Canada. Mass Timber will shape the future of low carbon construction and develop the bioeconomy. Canada's forest sector is responding to this opportunity with innovation, products and design. I mean, that's pretty huge statement. Uh, what What's happened in the last two years that's driving this optimism at such a great pace? Um, this progress and our webinar topic today is called coming of age. So I'd love to hear you, your thoughts as our, uh, for our first question on what's happened in the last two years that's really driving this so immensely. Um, and I, Andrew, do you want to start? Wow, put me in the hot seat first. Holy sure, um, it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we work very closely with Enercan and the creation of that report. And, you know, we're able to, since we are the industry voice, we're able to really bring a lot of uh, information and, and leadership and knowledge to the table. Uh, and just watching the marketplace grow, there's a lot of factors contributing to it. Obviously, the, the economic benefits, the environmental benefits, uh, you're looking at low carbon uh, building opportunities and design, but it's also the biophilic principles too the healthy indoor environment people love to be near nature and near natural products but what we're seeing you know we've got some really hard numbers where we do a lot of um, reviews in the marketplace of the way things are moving in the in the marketplace and you know up until now uh, just even with the pandemic uh, we've already been involved with in over 247 projects across the country and we now have 614 new projects that we're working on and we're tracking um, we've so far put in about uh, $200 million worth of wood products uh, into the construction sector, accounting of almost uh, 14 million square feet of construction. So the pace is really picking up uh, dramatically. And I think you know, Patrick uh, specifically can probably attest to these kind of numbers. And the way Ontario is really picking up and taking the leadership from BC, um, mm -hmm. Ontario is going to be moving very fast in the near future. 
Excellent. Uh, maybe that's a good to hand to you, Patrick. <laughs> Very well. Yes, there's been a huge uptake in the last two years. In fact, uh, it's it's been uh, progressing over about a 10-year period, but uh, certainly a lot of progress over the, uh, the last uh, two years. I would say we're seeing a lot more projects. In Ontario, there are 25 or more large projects in various stages of, of design, development, or, or construction. And uh, we're inundated with new project opportunities on a, on a, a weekly basis. So certainly an uptake in, uh, in new projects uh, coming to us. Um, Ontario now has uh, a mass timber manufacturer. We're also seeing other manufacturers coming on stream. Kolesnikov, Smart Lamb, Structure Lamb has a new manufacturing facility that's going to come online, I think, in August of this year in the United States. We're seeing a lot more architects and engineers who now have experience in uh, mass timber design and engineering. We're seeing a lot of growth in education. You know, the Mass Timber Institute is now part of the Daniels mm -hmm. Faculty of Architecture at the University of Toronto. A uh, little plug for the Canadian Wood Council. They have this wonderful program called Wood Smart, which is uh, supporting post-secondary institutions, educators and students in architects and engineering. Um, we're starting to see stronger links between uh, government, industry and regulators. And uh, soon we'll see the adoption of the National Building Code uh, in Ontario and uh, just a lot more opportunities for, you know, us as Canadians, and I'm sure there's Americans on the, on this call as well, but us as Canadians uh, to take a leadership role in this industry uh, that influences what's happening into the United States. All right. Uh, how, how about you, Vivian? Would you like to jump in next? Ah, well, you know, I think the emerging trends really do uh, relate very much as uh, both Andrew and Patrick were saying is that, you know, it's very much about increasing acceptance, right? I mean, we've been advocating for mass timber buildings for a long time, and there used to be a lot of resistance, um, partly within the engineering community, partly within the construction community, and partly within the owner community. And so little by little, people are saying, oh, wait, there's good precedence. And I think that what, you know, what really happens in the world of design and construction is people look to precedence. And so once there's 10 buildings they can look at, it's easy to do the next 100. And once there's 100 buildings you can look at, it's easy to do the next 1,000, right? Uh, it's the first ones that are hard because there aren't enough precedents to satisfy people that this actually works. And uh, I remember years ago we used to, you know, often um, illustrate and bring to, bring to our clients and our communities uh, European precedents. And uh, often, you know, the answer was, well, yeah, that's great, but this isn't Europe, right? And so people are looking for local and regional precedents of buildings that make sense. Um, I think, honestly, the credit does go to the Canadian Wood Council um, as well for uh, advocacy and for supporting uh, communities for awards programs and other uh, means by which uh, wood buildings have been put into the forefront and uh, I think that's also made a difference in terms of accepting uh, the idea that wood is really a great material. Um, and, uh, and of course, a lot of the research that's been done that shows that wood uh, doesn't burn any faster than other materials and so on, right? So a lot of the fear factors have been removed. And Jackie, how about you from the contractor's perspective? Yes, I would, I would agree completely. Um, our initial exposure to mass timber was as a part of a competition where the province had um, set out a RFP to say we want to make the first 
tall wood building and a lot of us didn't have the experience and and it's been uh interesting to watch all the publications that have been that have been issued since that time which is as a result of all of our experiences and i think this entire mass timber uh, community is very open and sharing of knowledge and want to make this uh, product a more um, user-friendly and viable product and a cost-effective product because it it really is when you start comparing it to schedule and everything else when it gets complicated is when they have um, the hybrid versions where you have uh, a lot of the hybrid content of a mass timber big building that that definitely does make it a little bit more complicated from a contractor's perspective because uh, the beauty of wood is is if you have one contractor assembling an entire mass timber building it it does have uh, a very impactful event on the overall community and, and construction site. Um, so I really appreciate that and that experience. So I think um, Vivian's comment associated with uh, the more projects that get built out of mass timber, the more comfort level us as contractors have that it can be done. We're always seem to, to want to look at the ones that were done well and, and such. So. I think Vivian, you, you you hit the nail right on the head. That's that's part of what we're all here for, is just to support the mass timber industry as well and, and get more projects put out there and built. Yeah. There was an update to building codes, I think it was early last year, allowing mass timber structures to be built as high as 18 stories. Has that also had a significant impact? Or is that old news now? Any take I can I can jump in on that one to say you know that code has just come in it's still brand new oh, okay. uh, it hasn't had an impact yet um, I think it will although the unfortunate part is that most of those tall buildings have to be encapsulated so you can't see the wood and that's sort of unfortunate I mean we would love to see the next iteration of the code where you no longer have to encapsulate the wood and you can actually show it um, mm -hmm. because, you know, um, to Jackie's point, like if there's one trade that completes the entire structure and it's done and it's beautiful and it's finished and you don't have to come back and add drywall and other things, then life is good, right? Mm -hmm. uh, economically, it's good. Aesthetically, it's good. And sustainably, yeah. it's less materials is, is a good thing. So I think from my perspective, I'm waiting for the next code. I think this code is a good stepping stone, but I don't think it's going to make a big difference because I don't think that that many people are going to be that excited about wood if you have to still encapsulate it. Right. Yeah. I can I can talk a little bit about um, how the code is likely to impact the industry going forward. Yeah, great. Um, so the certainly the changes to the building code will allow us to uh, to construct buildings uh, in wood that would otherwise have been constructed into it, you know with concrete and steel. So it means you know greater proliferation of of wood buildings you know across various building typologies. That's also going to foster investment in innovation, research, development, testing, and the introduction of of new and complementary engineered wood products was going to force us to be much more, you know, creative about how we use wood to address the needs of those larger buildings. Um, you know, as we become more knowledgeable and experienced and challenged with, uh, with taller buildings, 
um, it allows us again as Canadians to assume a leadership role towards you know in this mass timber revolution and and impact the growth of, of this this industry on a, a sort of across North America and nationally. Lots of uh, stimulation to the economy. It's going to mean job creation, uh, more benefits to the environment because you know there's going to be more buildings out there that are sequestering carbon. And we're going to be able to create these better living conditions for uh, for building occupants, families, and uh, and communities. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I think if you're looking at just to follow, Patrick was talking about innovation. I think if you look at design and you know design, you know form follows function, where I think code then follows form, and it's the confidence around that. If you look at some of the amazing projects, uh, you know most people online might be aware of uh, things like the Glue Lamb and CLT products. If you're not, it really is worth taking a look at the level of sophistication and innovation that's in some of these products. You have span joists that are spans that are just going across full Olympic style pool stadiums and things like that. It's, it's very impressive. We have an awards book that we put out every year, uh, very successful, and we've done it for the past decades and. This year, the submissions to the awards is more than we've ever had. And the sophistication of these products are really demonstrating the confidence that the industry has uh, across design through to construction in these products. So I think we're going to see some game-changing movements soon that, you know, very soon code is going to have to catch up to the passion and the interest that uh, we're putting up in the marketplace. Um, when we were speaking on one of our test sessions earlier, Vivian and I were chatting a little bit about geographic perspective. You know, being in Toronto, we think we're in the center of the universe a lot of the time, um, but obviously we are not. So are we seeing more mass timber infrastructure being embraced across the country in more rural areas? Is it still more city centers? Uh, is it within Indigenous communities? I've certainly seen a strong influence there. Um, and I don't know, Vivian, if you want to jump off on this one first off, since uh, it was a topic we were discussing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we work, as I mentioned, uh, a lot in rural and remote communities, as well as in urban centers, of course. Um, and definitely um, our First Nations communities have long since been the leaders uh, in uh, wanting wood buildings, in advocating for wood buildings, and in supporting the construction of wood buildings. So many of the schools that we design uh, on reserve, uh, as well as other community facilities, cultural facilities, um, community hubs, most of them are all wood buildings. Um, and it's because, of course, of as you know, we talked about that sense that wood makes you feel good. It's a living material. Um, it's healthy, it's sustainable, it's beautiful. It makes uh, it makes the building come to life. And so uh, I definitely say in rural and remote communities that's um, a very much alive and well. And as, um, as our engineering community becomes more capable and as our construction community becomes more capable, there's less and less resistance or less, less naysayers, less people saying, oh, you can't do that. It's, it's not possible. So, um, and of course, in our indigenous communities and in remote communities, people also love wood because it's, some, it's a material that they can also uh, repair or, or modify. Right. And it's a material that they're comfortable working with and have many there's many carpenters in the communities. And so uh, it's a it's a strategy that works well through the life cycle of the building. Maybe I can comment as well. You know, the this master revolution began in Europe 
30 years ago and landed on the shores of BC about 10 years ago, but we've seen a wave of the use of these materials spread all the way across Canada uh, and now well into the United States. So there's a big uptake in the United States as well. You know, huge uptake in Ontario. Alan, Andrew alluded to it earlier by saying that, you know, Ontario is is likely to take a, a stronger role in, in um um, you know, this this whole mass timber movement simply because of the sheer volume of, of uh, projects that are in various stages of design and development here in the location that Ontario is where it's situated to be able to sell right into the central part of the United States and the whole eastern seaboard. Um, an interesting thing about I- Indigenous communities, and uh, we're seeing that already. We, we've been involved in a few projects uh, with Indigenous communities already. And, um, you know, there's some there's some challenges specifically associated with uh, developing housing and communities for Indigenous communities um, that are benefited through off-site manufacturing. And, uh, you know, there are limited trades available in, in a number of these remote communities. And the fact that you're prefabricating buildings, you know, in a factory and shipping them to site, you're less dependent on trades that may or may not exist in those areas. There's short building cycles, so um, when you have when you ship a prefabricated building that can be quickly assembled in those locations, you can build more buildings quicker in the shorter periods of time. And many of the the, the homes that indigenous communities are exposed to are made with um, with uh, structures that don't really sustain the harsh conditions well. And when you're building with mass timber, it's a much more durable product. Uh, so you have these, uh, these buildings that have a, a longer lifespan, um, you know, that they can pass from generation to generation. So, you know, offsite manufacturing and the use of wood makes a, a, a you know, a, a huge difference uh, for the growth of indigenous communities. All right. Uh, I mean, the topic of climate change continues to grow in prominence, and I know we've already covered it a little bit, Um, but it's more and more difficult to ignore the massive carbon impact of buildings, which account for nearly 40% of global carbon emissions. Is a greater focus on embodied carbon going to drive this industry forward as we strive to achieve net zero? And for those of us, for those joining today that maybe aren't mass timber experts yet, uh, quick definition. So embodied carbon is the carbon dioxide emissions associated with materials and construction process throughout the whole life cycle of a building or infrastructure. Uh, who would like to tackle this one first? I think probably all could. A little bit I think all, yeah, well, and you're all welcome to. So. A subject all dear to our hearts. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, Andrew, why don't you start then? You seem like you're ready to go. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because coming at this from, you know, now in the in the wood product sector uh, and seeing the evolution and the way things are moving so quickly, but then also kind of pulling back to my, you know, green building days and, and all the work that we did there. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting how it's moved because the perceptions of green and sustainable and low carbon, it tends to move around based on what elements we have to tackle. And about five, maybe 10 years ago, it was always around operational emissions and carbon and, and energy efficiencies. And, and the materials were all around containing and, and locking in uh, the temperatures and uh, the indoor air quality and things like that. Now it's really about the material itself and the embodied uh, uh, carbon that's sequestered inside the materials. Um, every industry, every material supplier is trying to figure out the way to, to solve these problems. Um, there's EPDs now being required around the world, and Canada's catching up to that. 
environmental product declarations are called, so basically standardizations of, of the uh, types of, of the carbon that's sequestered in the materials and things like that. Um, but I think we also look at the stages as well and where the efficiencies and the, and the carbon reductions can be made. You know, it starts early in design. And you know, Vivian knows this, the early stage design, you must plan for this. It's, it's integrating with, with the, uh, you know, the, the, the codes and standards with, with BIM technologies as you're designing it and, and making sure that your carbon is accounted for in that process. But then it's also the construction work as well. And how do you manage the carbon reductions when you're building some of these massive buildings? You know? And I think, you know, Jackie, you know, from a construction perspective, you understand this as much as anybody else, that the process it takes to build something like a hospital or a school, the time uh, is just as important. Uh, if you're pouring concrete and building with steel, these are labor-intensive things. But if we can take a product like mass timber, assemble it and build it in a factory, and then ship it to site for a prefab modular system that goes up very quickly, we are automatically reducing the carbon uh, during the construction process. And, you know, I spent quite a few years way back actually working with uh, NSERC at the federal government uh, and also the Brickworks in Toronto to develop their carbon neutral building. It wasn't a, a wood uh, centric building whatsoever, but we used that project to actually create a, a, a carbon tool to track emissions during construction. And that was eye opening. And just being able to take that experience and apply that now to what wood can do for construction and for buildings. Uh, we have so much still to learn and understand about that process in its entirety, but it's, it's going to be a fun ride to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I might just jump in there and say, you know, embodied carbon has been a conversation really since the very beginning of the green building movement. And I remember working with Wayne Trustee and the Athena Institute who were working on um, ways to calculate embodied carbon in building materials. And way, way, way back at the beginning, we started to talk about fact that we have to account for the carbon at the early design stage, as, as Andrew was saying. It's really at the beginning when you're making the key decisions as to, you know, what is this building made out of? Uh, how is it going to be assembled? Those are the moments at which those critical differences happen. And once those decisions are made, and they're often in the first month of the design of a project, they have ongoing impacts for the next hundred years. And so it's really critical for us as the design team, architects, engineers, uh, client team, um, you know, contractors who are involved in that early design stage to be part of the solution and to say, you know, we have to be doing that calculation along with doing calculations for, you know, how much load does the building take and how much force is going to be applied by the wind and the snow. We have to be looking at the climate impacts right at the very beginning as part of our normal design process. And when we do, wood comes out ahead almost every time um, because it does have uh, such a benefit from an embodied carbon perspective. Um, there are a few other materials out there that are, you know, in that category of far lower embodied carbon. Uh, and uh, those are materials that are being privileged at every turn. Uh I'd like to comment as well. Um, you know, the world is desperate for solutions to climate change and the, the concrete and the steel industries are responsible for somewhere between 12 to 14% of the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere today. 
we know that we we can't continue to build um, the way we've been building for the last hundred years, particularly as population is expected to increase from seven to nine billion people over the next, you know, thirty five years. And just to understand the sequestration uh, benefits of wood, you know, when we're building with wood, we're we're leveraging our forests' natural ability to absorb carbon dioxide produce the oxygen that we re- we breathe and store the remaining car- carbon in the form of wood. So if we're using wood to build things, in this case buildings, what we've done is we've created a, unlike the concrete and steel industries that are responsible for spewing all this carbon dioxide into the atmosphere to one which systematically and effectively removes it from the atmosphere and stores it in the, the form of these, uh, these, these beautiful buildings. So, um, yeah, there's uh, there's a huge environmental benefit associated with building in this way, and uh, and I think it's the the, the wise, responsible way uh, of constructing buildings in the future. Jackie, I can see you nodding along there. I think in agreement. <laughs> yeah, it it. I, I just wanted. Um, I worked with Michael Green on on the Wood Innovation Design Center, and and he would do these speak these talks with. Uh, educating everybody about mass timber, and he's a great speaker. And one of the the items that he um, spoke about that just resonated with me was that the building that we had built, which was virtually 100% mass timber, other than the slab on grade was concrete. Everything else was mass timber. Um, it was one of those in- innovations where if it could be wood, it was wood in this building. Everything, stairs, elevator cores, everything was made out of CLT and, and glue lamps and, and such. And one of the things he, he described is he had calculated the whole um, uh, carbon in capturing. And then the question associated with sustainability. And he said, the wood we use to build this six story building was replenished in a total of 15 minutes by the Canadian forestry industry. It just replaced itself in 15 minutes. For me, that resonated how different mass timber was to the concrete and steel industry that we've all been talking about because there is no replacement associated. You continue to take minerals and and product out of the ground and just put it in buildings and then it stays there and then you have to do something with it after its end of life. Whereas with a mass timber building, you can actually disassemble it and use it and repurpose it to something else, which is which is kind of very unique to the mass timber industry. So um, it really it really changed my mind about a new product that was truly innovation, innovative in its uh, every form. Right. I think there's, there's one more element, I think, that you know we need to keep our eyes on, and, and we haven't had to tackle this yet. It's going to be the next generation that's going to, that's going to be on this from a sustainability standpoint, and that's the deconstruction of buildings. Mm-hmm. To deconstruct a steel or concrete building, A, very labor intensive, huge amounts of, of product waste. But when you deconstruct a mass timber or any type of wood building, all of that wood can either be repurposed or reused or recycled. So being able to understand that, uh, especially from a deconstructability and a reuse application in, in future systems, you know there are uh, buildings in in Asia and Japan that I know specifically that are 500 years old. The durability and be able to maintain their life, but then knowing that those can be deconstructed so for generations and generations, that alone is a sustainability message that you know that future generations are really going to be talking quite a bit about. So that'll be exciting too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've noticed we have a question here. The technology is there. The interest is high, but are developers and other property owners asking for wood? Is the demand on steel or concrete? And uh, that seems like a fitting question for this part of the conversation. That's for Jackie, I think. 
Um, I have seen a trend where there is certain clients um, that are very interested in the sustainability of the buildings. And lately, it's been a lot of the institutions like the colleges, the universities are really um, and the First Nations areas that are really interested in in providing that that or responding to the challenge of being uh, carbon neutral, net zero. So I, I have seen a lot of interest in that way. Um, private developers are still having a tough time moving towards mass timber um, because their mindset is concrete and steel and, and uh, the bottom line sometimes overrules the use of mass timber when it comes right down to it. Uh, with more and more fabrication and quality of installers and experience levels going up. Um, I foresee that the comparison between the two will, will there won't be a comparison anymore. I, I believe that mass timber will eventually become the more preferred product. Um, uh, but it, it's a function of starting out early and seeing what the client's motivation is. If it's, uh, if it's purely just a, to build it and sell it, that's one thing. But if they're planning to keep it for a long time, um, that's a whole different look. And you, you have to work with the clients, with the architects, the engineers, and see what their motivation is. How much of the mass timber can be exposed versus how much do they want it to be exposed? Because that all adds to the bottom line cost of a project. So um, it, it, it is a bit of a unique conversation early on. Um, and Vivian, you probably have had these conversations many times. Mm-hmm. So um, we're on the same side. We would like to build them out of mass timber, but sometimes they end up being hybrids or completely a concrete and steel building after the fact. So, um, I'll comment on that as well. We're, there's a, you know, the mass timber industry is revolutionary, revolutionary in many ways. It's it's changing the way buildings are designed, delivered, assembled, etc. It's also changing the way projects come to market and um, where traditionally as a manufacturer supplier, our, our primary target uh, were architects and engineers. You know, they'd own the customer relationship and they'd orchestrate solutions. And we were treated really just as a, as a, as a supplier. But um, what we're finding now is uh, our primary target, our owners and developers. We're seeing a huge uptake in interest by owners and developers. And and what offsite manufacturing and wood offers them is the prospect of high, you know, generating a higher return on investment. The fact that we're able to manufacture buildings in a in a high tech environment means that we're able to manufacture those buildings for less than they, you know, than they would be produced uh, traditionally you know, whether being assembled on site rather than constructed in the traditional sense. And we're, we're you know, we're creating these this abs- absolutely beautiful new strain of buildings where we're seeing, you know, wood exposed. And, um, you, you know, people who are buying these buildings or renting in these buildings are willing to pay a premium for them in order to be in these wonderful spaces. So for the owner developer, it's lower overall cost, but a higher you know, selling price or rental price. So, so uh, they, they are our number one target in terms of, you know, the people who are going to be driving this industry going forward. All right. Before we hop on to the next question, I'm just going to remind everyone to jump in and respond to the poll questions. I'll give you a moment or two to do that. So the first question we have in here is what is Mass Timber's most appealing benefit? And right now, sustainability is uh, leading with an 81% of the vote. Uh, I don't think there's too many surprises there. 
based on our conversation today. Um, and then the next one, what is Mass Timber's greatest obstacle? And right now, um, building code compliance with 50% of the vote is leading, but there's also some thoughts around supply chain gaps and cost. Um, anyone on the panel like to respond to this? I think the a lot of the recent uh, explosion in the wood market from a costing perspective is probably, um, I'm, I'm sure, Andrew, you've seen the cost of wood go up as well, just like everybody else. It is a commodity. Yep. Um, and it is hard to predict where it's going to be um, in the planning process and uh, the building process. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there, I'm sure that's part of the, the concern on the costing side of things because it is based on a commodity pricing and it's not always fixed. For so. sure. It's amazing how much things like the, this pandemic has impacted all supply chains, right? It's not just wood. I mean, wood is, is really being brought to the forefront because it traditionally has been uh, a cost-effective uh, solution for, for building and easily accessible material. Um, but, you know, when simple little things like if the pandemic hits and, and people are locked in at home, they start looking at their home and saying, huh, let's do renovations. And next thing you know, people are like buying product like crazy and the supply chain is only as big as is originally intended to be and can't really respond as quickly as we'd like it to sometimes. Well, the good news is that we are catching up and I'm already starting to see reports where pricing is starting to, to right size a bit. You know, I, I don't want to speak out of turn. I'm not an expert in the area of costing by any means. We have a lot of people on, on teams that can do that. But I think, you know, we're going to see the economy all across the board starting to rebalance. And I think we're also going to see a surge, an increased surge of interest as we get through all this stuff. In my mind, there's three main drivers of the mass timber industry and, and, as I've referred to already, I think first and foremost is the developer community and, and the prospect of making a higher return on investment. You know, these are the organizations that control the supply chain. Um, so, um, you know, the, the prospect of higher return on investment is, is really driving the developer community towards this. Uh, second of all, there's the huge environmental benefit and the desire for us to all build much more responsibly and more sustainably. There's also the building occupants, and as um, I think Andrew, as maybe you had referred to, the bio biophilic advantages. You know, health studies are showing that there are benefits associated with living and working and educating our children in, in buildings where there's a exposure to you know higher wood content. So That's we're right. creating these we're creating these uh, wonderful healthy environments, and, and so I think fundamentally it's you know the human desire to be able to connect with our space. You know, if we're as, as uh, cities densify and population increases, we're becoming farther removed from our natural environment. So building with wood allows us to bring nature into our, our living and working environment. So those are the three major contributors, I think, that are you know, fundamentally driving this industry. Um, you know, there's some challenges, of course. Uh, I think the biggest challenge in, in my mind is the, the stereotypical perception of wood, you know, the you know, beliefs that, you know, wood burns, it doesn't last, it's more expensive than concrete and steel. Uh, you know, we're depleting our forest and destroying our environment. Well, there's, you know, there's a lot of research, um, you know, that that uh, addresses all of those concerns uh, very well. So, yeah, just, um, you know, some key drivers and, and but there's still some challenges that uh, we need to overcome. And it's, uh, it's about experience, education and, you know, we'll we'll see it all um, the industry evolve dramatically over over years. 
we have another question here from our audience. Uh, how is Mass Timber going to work in smart buildings with Internet of Things and sensors or IoT? Well, I would say that um, in some ways, wood buildings are better than steel or concrete buildings because they don't, you know, steel and concrete have, or, or concrete, including steel, I guess, uh, has resistance. So radio frequency transmission uh, resistance. So sensors are uh, usually quite happy to penetrate through wood. And so I don't think that uh, wood is uh, anything but an advantage uh, on uh, if you're trying to integrate more sensors in the buildings. And, um, you know, I think there's also a lot of, a lot of the need for sensors might be also less in a wood building. And I think that's an analysis that hasn't really been done yet. But I dare say that um, there are many advantages in a wood building where the things that you use the sensors for in the first place might just not be required. I think it's also about systems thinking too. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, I'm still recovering a little bit from the Sidewalk Labs uh, Waterford Toronto uh, project at the Keyside. I was very much integral to the beginning stages of that with, uh, with Waterford Toronto. But, you know, Sidewalk Labs and Google, they see the value. They wanted that entire project to be mass timber. And it was also high performance, it was autonomous vehicles, it was the full community system of, of healthy environments, smart technologies that, that we play together. So I think it's an evolutionary change that's taking everything into account, not just smart, not just high performance, uh, it's everything kind of all together. And I think that's gonna be some of the, uh, the real strategic solutions uh, going forward is full integration of ideas. It strikes me that there are so many different avenues that are, are expanding in this market. As the industry grows, are there necessary training programs in place for all of this? I know we talked a little bit about WoodSmart, um, but are there other programs? Are there mentorships? Are, will we be able to scale up in terms of the number of people and the, uh, the smarts that we'll need to tackle it all? Yeah, well, that's that's what we do at uh, at uh, Canadian Wood Council. We have a program that I mentioned early on called uh, Woodworks. Wood Smart is our program for acad the academic field and students, whereas Woodworks is really about training professionals and how do we make sure that they have um, what they need, uh, the tools to to move forward. So we have, for example, we get as engineers and architects actually get credited courses about some of the uh, credits for the courses that uh, they take with us. Um, we, you know, we're publishing things on, a, on an annual basis. This year, actually, we've got some amazing publications coming out. We have our new wood design manual that our codes and engineering team are putting together. That's coming out soon, and that's really focused on, on how to, you know, all the different code compliance issues and engineering requirements uh, when doing construction and design. We have a new um, uh, low-rise commercial uh, book coming out. I think the low-rise uh, sector is really ripe for mass timber. Uh, that's going to be very interesting. We've got a mid-rise guide for multi-residential buildings coming up this year. And you know, I mentioned WoodSmart. We have our new uh, curriculum guideline for, for builders coming out at the end of the year. So you know, these are all massive publications uh, coming together to educate everybody as much as possible. And we're ramping that up even more. So we've got a new business plan coming together specifically around how do we increase the, the value of our Woodworks program uh, nationally, but also within different regions that are offering the program. Uh, Quebec, through uh, the, their equivalent uh, Second Block program, is, is amazing the work that they're doing to educate the, the Quebec marketplace and 
and how everybody across the country is working to elevate all the provinces. It very, very much is a collaborative effort of all of us working to provide that educa uh, education needed. Yeah, I was just going to uh, comment that I know in, in Toronto, the Carpenters Union actually has uh, additional training um, that they've set aside for um, erection of mass timber. And I do know that here in BC as well, that uh, some of the technical institutes are uh, seeking to set up a program for training, um, a trades program training as well. So yeah, it, it is coming, it is coming. Everybody's recognizing that the popularity is there um, and certifications is definitely something that um, as a contractor, we'd be looking for as well. Is this an industry that uh, attracts a fairly diverse market? Or I mean, obviously construction in the past is and still is quite male dominated. Um, but are part of these training programs, are there also programs in place that are driving more women into the market, driving uh, different minority groups, that type of thing as well? I'll just say really quickly, I'm a bit biased. I have uh, twin daughters, uh, both going to university in September. One of them is going to Ryerson in engineering. Um, and just the excitement on her face just to get involved in, this, in the STEM fields, uh, getting into engineering. She's not sure exactly what area she wants to go into. But uh, you know, some of the young people that we're hiring and, and looking to bring on at the, at the Wood Council is amazing. We've got a new person in our communications right out of uh, university. Uh, you know, she's doing wonderful. So I, I think the, the the world is wide open for young minds and young professionals to really grab a hold of this and and figure out the next play because they're the ones that are going to have the brain on sustainability, uh, but also leadership and, and equity in the workplace, which is going to be key. So uh, I think, you know, we're going to break down a lot of barriers and a lot of walls in, in the coming decades. And I think sooner rather than later, uh, the five of us on the screen are going to be the, design, the dinosaurs that, uh, that have to step aside. <laughs> Awesome. I was I was going to ask earlier, um, Vivian. I would similarly to the contractor's perspective on this, but I know that you've seventy five percent of the projects you've done have already got a focus on mass timber. But what is it that would drive architects to choose mass timber as as the material of choice? Like, what can we do to you know get more architects maybe doing seventy five percent of projects in the same way? Right. Well, you know, I think it is uh, a vision that many architects do share, the idea that, you know, wood buildings are, are beautiful, are sustainable. And, uh, you know, the constraints tend to usually be economic. And so, you know, they need to be hearing from the contractor colleagues saying, oh, yeah, no, it is affordable. It makes sense. And from our structural engineers. I think our structural engineering community has been um, slow to catch on to the design of mass timber. And, you know, in the, a decade ago, there were really only one or two firms in the country that could do a decent job of designing elegant, well-detailed mass timber buildings. And uh, now that's growing, but it's taking a long time. Uh, there are definitely more, you know, engineers, structural engineers who are familiar with wood. And uh, the fear is always that it's too expensive. And so... Um, if we can overcome that fear with good data uh, and also to to change the economic calculus and say, you know, we have to count not just dollars. We have to count environmental impact. We have to count embodied carbon. We have to count energy use over the life cycle of the building. We have to look at the next hundred years uh, because the buildings we design aren't for today. We're designing the future. And we're designing for that circular economy 
And so it is really important that we change the framing of the short-sighted economics that we've been living with in the construction industry to looking at that longer horizon. The, you know, cost is a, is a very big issue. And um, I, I would say, you know, despite, um, you know, all the other influences uh, that are driving the mass timber industry, uh, cost is always the number one consideration. And costs have come down and they will continue to come down and mass timber will continue to be more competitive. In fact, uh, I'm, you know, confident underpriced um, other forms of construction materials going forward. And so, for example, you know, here in the province of Ontario, we've been in the mass timber industry for, for quite for a number of years now. And uh, we used to have to import all of our raw materials from long distances. We used to have to import it from, from Europe or we'd have to bring product in from Quebec or, or from, from British Columbia. But now we are sourcing our materials locally from Ontario for us. So we're shortening the distance that raw materials need to travel. You know, we now have a, uh, a manufacturing facility in the province of Ontario where we can manufacture our products very efficiently, cost-effectively. There's a growing uh, market for the use of these materials in Ontario. So we're delivering our products locally as well. So that's driving down the overall cost. And so where the perception has been that, you know, mass timber is more expensive, um, we're we're overcoming that perception by by uh, offering solutions that are competitive in the in the marketplace. And, and an example of that is on the challenge of creating a mass timber solution that was devoted to the affordable housing sector. And if you can if you can come up with a mass timber solution that's competitive in affordable housing, you know, then really the sky is the limit. And so we put a team together to bid on a particular project, you know, in Ontario for the YWCA, and we went against up against all the other guys that are doing you know, uh, prefabricated affordable housing solutions, you know, the, the concrete guys, the steel guys, even the lightwood frame guys. And we came up with a mass timber solution that underpriced the entire market. So I think um, to some degree, we've broken the barrier that uh, mass timber is, um, you know, is, is not affordable. Um, and once we've done that, I think uh, there's, there's, you know, huge opportunity to be competitive in across a whole variety of different building typologies. And I think, you know, to back up both uh, Patrick and Vivian's perspective, if you look at, you know, the realities of costs and pricing, any sector you look at has gone through the evolution of supply and demand uh, and costs. You know, it, before coming onto the Wood Council, you know, I worked on the first net zero energy building in Ontario at Mohawk College. And the costing, uh, the estimators, you know, when we went in there at the design phase, you know, it was about 12% premium. After going through building all of that, they said, you know what, if we were to do that again, it'd probably be around four to 5%. So it's the education of the people involved that's also of real importance in the process. It's not just the material cost, it's the knowledge and the cost of, of, of doing that. Um, but, you know, if you remember and look at other sectors, uh, flat screen TVs, I remember 20 years ago when they came out, you know, to have, have one to watch a baseball game with your buds in the basement, that was $20,000. Now you go to Best Buy, you get one for $1,000. So it's also the, those kind of economies that we have to see when you have a new trend like this coming to the market, that these prices are automatically going to adjust, not just based on, on material itself. Makes sense. Well, we're down to our last, probably our last question. And I've got one for you that I think uh, you can all use as a bit of a, of a wrap up. Um, 
So it sounds like a lot of the, uh, we've done a little bit of myth busting in the last few years in terms of the uh, flammability of wood and in terms of the durability, the strength, the cost now as well. So what are the remaining challenges or obstacles that we need to overcome for the industry? What needs to happen? And I'll give you each a minute of wrap up on that. Uh, who would like to start? Go Jackie, go Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else wants to see. I guess from, from my perspective, what would the, what I, I think education, I think taking it to the um, building authorities, mm -hmm. the inspectors, that is the next level of education. I think uh, our architects and engineers are doing a great job of being innovative, but that innovative generates some concern from the authorities having jurisdiction on the approval process. So uh, if I was to say what's our next hurdle, I think that group of individuals is, our, is somewhere where we could inspire them to ride the wave with us and, and agree that this is a, a great innovation that is worth pursuing and being supportive of. All right, Andrew, you're next on my screen, so I'm going. Okay, um, I, think, I think it's gonna be keeping up with the pace of interest and the pace of change. It's very easy for us to get complacent in what we know and what we think the market knows, but very quickly the tools and resources that we're delivering to the marketplace will be outdated because the education will catch up. Um, and, and I think with the interest in mass timber, that's going to ha happen faster than, than we think. So I need to make sure that our teams recognize that and we're prepared to provide that next level of education um, as it's required. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, what do I call it, like a test for myself to make sure we're on board <laughs> with this going forward. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And Patrick, you look thoughtful. <laughs> yeah, no, it always I'm does. Well, I'm, um, you know, it's taken a while to get where we are and, um, you know, change uh, takes a while to, to come into effect. We're going to see the same thing in the mass timber industry. You know, it's it's taken about uh, over 10 years to see this sort of snowball, uh, you know, gain in, in size. But now it's, uh, you know, it's it's the snowball is quite large. It's in motion. It's rolling through certainly Ontario well into the United States. Uh, so we're seeing a lot more interest in adoption. You know, it's it's again, it's going to take time. Um, I, I, education is a really important component of that, and and what the Canadian Wood Council is doing is is going to you know uh, impact the industry. I think in a tremendous way. You know, we're all just going to gain experience in this industry, and the industry just needs to evolve. But uh, in my mind, uh, there's no question that the wave of the use of these materials and is is on upon us is upon us. And uh, it, it building in this way is is uh, the way of the future. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you. And Vivian, it's up to you to bring us home now. <laughs> okay. Well, I would say just to add to what all the rest of the team have said, um, the other thing that remains is to really continue to focus on integrated design, because as we know, who who have been working in the green buildings world and sustainability for decades, the key to success um, of any uh, sustainable strategy is to make sure that team really understands the win. And so, you know, we've been talking a lot about structural engineering and about construction, but we have to remember that as architects, as designers, we have to integrate the work of our mechanical engineering team, our electrical engineering teams, uh, as well as, of course, the structural teams and our so it's through integrated design that I think we're going to uh, continue to grow this um, community of practice around um, mass timber. And uh, I think we really have to focus on that larger conversation 
integrating everybody into this, uh, into the values and into the ways that we need to do things differently to make this a success. Thank you so much. Thank you to all of our panelists and thank you to PCL Construction for sponsoring today's webinar. I imagine most of you are already pretty familiar with PCL, but I invite you to visit their site at pcl.com and click on our work to learn more about the projects that they've been working on. So thank you again, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Infraintelligence podcasts are adapted from an ongoing webinar series hosted by Renew Canada magazine. You can find out more by following Renew Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn or by visiting renewcanada.net.